Thank you for downloading this New Zealand Sports Radio show. We have a new way that you can support us. There is a link in the notes down below where you can make a one-off donation to New Zealand Sports Radio. Thank you for support and uh, enjoy the show. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Driving Mall Show. And yes, for the uh, first time in a long time, uh, the uh, Gallagher Shield is heading to South Auckland, and so we'll be talking about that on the show. Club Rugby there for you folks. Uh, there's also Farrah Power Cup action and NPC action from the weekend to talk about, as well as a couple of international games. We will cover all of that here on the Driving More Show. Hi, I'm Paul. I'm your host this evening, as I am every evening at 8pm on Monday evenings, uh, live on YouTube, Facebook and Twitter. Also, you can catch our uh, show as a podcast as well, just search for New Zealand Sport Radio. And uh, joining me, is uh, this evening is the director of rugby from uh, Manukau Rovers. It's Boa. How are you doing, sir? Yora, uh, Talafalava, Kiorana, Malo Lele. Uh, good evening, everyone. Uh, yeah, look, uh, thank you, Paul. It's it's lovely to be on the show after uh, well, a long time. The reason is uh, the club premier grade season is now over, and um, I've I've actually got the week off before I have to head back doing some other coaching courses. Uh, but yeah, look, amazing weekend, um, and it's it's really cool when a plan which we hatched uh, probably ten and a half, eleven months ago came together, and it took till the very last second uh, of all the rugby we had to play to actually win the Gallagher Shield, and uh, it's a, it's a surreal feeling, Paul. It's a it's a, it's an incredible feeling, uh, real honor and privilege, and I'm just so humbled, and it's been it's been a real buzzy weekend. <laughs> well, so, yes, I, 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 it sounded like you were the responsible member who stayed a little bit less buzzy than, than some others, um, looking after the boys as they uh, rightly celebrated what was a very yeah. big, uh, I, I, big achievement. Always the case, always the case, mate. I have to make sure that everyone, and, and we do, we do, you know, we're a very responsible community based, family based club. So you know, everyone's having a good time, but it was safe and um, everyone enjoyed it. So, just to give everyone who doesn't know, um, the Gallagher Shield is the, uh, um, the the trophy for the men's premier competition, uh, club competition in Auckland. Um, and uh, uh, Manukau Rovers reached the final for the first time in uh, quite a lot of years. 49 years. It's been a long time since drinks. Um, to, to actually reach the final and uh, up against Ponsonby, who are one of the 
uh, more storied clubs uh, in uh, in Auckland. Brian Williams was there for uh, um, who's, who's, who's an ex uh, an ex player, um, but a pl- place where your players like um, the, the club for like uh, Kiriwani, Rico Wani, um, those sort of players uh, have uh, Ponsonby as their club and have occasionally um, turned out um, for that club. <coughs> and um, yes, uh, they went in as favourites. Um, let's be honest. Whereas uh, uh, Manukau Rovers, as you say, first time in 49 years, how would the players react to playing on Eden Park um, as they, after the, the Farrah Palmer Cup game had had there that, uh, and then was followed up by the NPC game. So you had a, a big crowd uh, in the biggest stadium in the country. Uh, most of these players will, will not have played on their, on that grass before, I, I assume. Um, so yeah, a very big occasion for them as well to, uh, and, and did the nerves, um, play a bit into it, do you think? Uh, no, not at all. Um, in fact, it was something we spoke about um, early in the week. Where, you know, we didn't really want to be starstruck and let uh, the nerves get to us. Um, and we were very comfortable. You know, it's um, it's something we, we handled very well because one thing I have to say is the last last three weeks on the trot, we've, all, we've won it basically on the last hooter. Uh, and this uh, this final was was no different, and um, no, I thought everyone kind of handled it really really well. Uh, they didn't let the occasion get to them, um, but I, I I think it was you know we did a lot of mental preparation around this, particularly when we made it to the semifinals, uh, when we um, when we were uh, you know we had to play uh, varsity away to qualify for the semifinals. So now nah, I think we handled it really well, and um, obviously we got the right result as well. So yeah, full marks to the boys. Fantastic news, and uh, as you say, this these things don't happen um, by chance. It's, there's a lot of work goes on behind the scenes. Uh, I've just run it back from uh, the um, Waihee Rugby <coughs> Committee meeting, um, and uh, yeah, we've, we've already we've been discussing yeah, the head head coach um, for next uh, for next season. Remember the season's to kick off to like February March. Um, and, uh, and and yeah, and, and putting things in place already. So these things do take uh, a, a a lot of planning, a lot of work by a lot of people behind the scenes. For the players, they just have to turn up in preseason um, and uh, play a little bit. Whereas uh, the administrators and the um, and the club chairmen, etc., are at this for the full um, twelve months of the year. So uh, fantastic result uh, from what is, as you say, a lot of hard work has got into doing it. Um, and congratulations, sir. In doing that, this is my first time getting involved. I mean, I'm not actually a member of the committee. Uh, I go along for other reasons, but um, uh, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it is interesting. It, it is yeah, it's interesting to see behind the scenes on uh, these and, sort of things. That was uh, and that Paul, was, just, <clears throat> sorry, just to give you an indication of um, how dominant Ponson we have been, they've actually won 35 of the um, 99. Galaha Shields, which were which have been played, so that means almost thirty six point three percent of the time, the Galaha Shield has been uh, been on offer. They seem to have won. So this is our third title. So clearly, we've got a bit of catching up to do to Ponsonby. Hopefully, over the next two hundred or so years, we will get there. But I'm sure Ponsonby will be winning a few of those as well. Uh, so that that's how that's how uh, remarkable Ponsonby's record is. And to beat a team like that, uh, not once, but twice, because keep in mind, we beat them um, in the first round, in the round robin, we gave them a bit of a touch-up. Um, and to do that again in a final, last moment, that's quite surreal, Paul. 
<laughs> yep, no, absolutely. And uh, last year, Eden won it for the first time ever in their history. Um, but uh, then 2020 was obviously cancelled. But Ponsonby, yes, were eight, 2019, 2018 um, there. But yeah, to have two of the um, not so sort of storied clubs pick up or not so uh, um, sort of big clubs in recent times pick up the trophy in the last two years is a is, is very good for club rugby in Auckland. It shows the strength isn't uh, just amongst the two or three teams um, and uh, it's, it's spreading around, which is great to see. So uh, well done to uh, Manukau Rovers. And that I think that will also give belief to a number of the other South Auckland um, clubs as well. We'll think, hang on, if they've done it, why can't we? And so I expect um, some of those uh, Papitotoes and uh, your Pakarangas um, to, to be upping their game over the next couple of seasons. And I'm sure it's going to be uh, uh, just be difficult to do it again. But as um, we've said in your, in your change rooms afterwards, it's all about uh, keeping this group together. And let's hope the club can go from strength to strength and uh, they enjoy playing with each other. Uh, you don't lose too many players to uh, well, overseas or to professional clubs. Uh, absolutely. And look, uh, one thing I would say is like you got to plan. You know, we... Uh, when I sat down with Doug Sandfus, uh, my head coach for the premiers, one of the one of our key focuses was detail. Keep the details very simple. And we actually broke down pretty much every training session we were going to have. And we broke that down into simple detail. And we kept inspecting it, examining it, um, looking at what changes we need to do, looking at previous week games just looking at what we need to do now so we put a lot of uh, focus on mental skills it's an area which i um directly oversee uh so yeah it was pretty awesome you know and uh you know from from personal point of view um you know it was a great learning experience for me as well uh particularly working with younger players coming into the system and keep in mind we had to literally uh, build a team from scratch because we only had one player retained from last year we lost a lot of players for varying reasons going overseas moving to other clubs so it was a real challenge and to be able to do this within a you know within a season within a calendar year with a completely different team is just testament to uh that rugby iq which we which we put together the planning the preparation and most importantly executing on the day Sorry, I just might, might, muted my mic there while I opened up my can of beer. It's quite all right. I do that all the time myself. <laughs> yes, so um, there we go. Um, so, yeah, so uh, congratulations, Bella. Let's move on now to some of the uh, other rugby that's been going on um, around the thing that's we're going to first of all touch in on um, uh, the uh, the Farrah Palmer Cup, um, where uh, counties um, pushed. Um, the uh, push Canterbury close, uh, losing that one out 31 to uh, 36 there in the Premiership. Whereas Auckland Storm, just before your game, you were probably concentrating on your game more than this, but 32 uh, 5 against Manawatu um, Cyclones, who are having a bit of a tough um, season now. It's four losses on the bounce for Manawatu. And then the game that I was at, um, Waikato uh, beating Bay of Plenty 17 to, uh, to 10. Um, did you catch? Um, did you did you actually look at see any of that Auckland Storm game or was that uh, or were you, yeah, were you too busy? I I did catch most of the first half. Um, look, it was it was a bit of an you know it was an end to end sort of game. There was a lot of loose, there was a lot of loose footy. I thought, um, and one observation I had was you know it would have been good to see particularly at the mm -hmm. highest level. Um, uh, 
when I mean high silver, first class level in Farah Palmer Cup. Would have loved to see a little more structured footy. Uh, it was just a bit disjointed and was all over the shop, probably because of the first round. Uh, but Auckland were very dominant. Uh, when they exerted their physicality, uh, Manawatu just couldn't keep pace with them. And the tries just kept coming. It was it was entertaining. It was a, a a small but very vocal and at times rowdy crowd. So that uh, uh, the the cheers and the cry, you know, the cries and the, the howls at times reverberated in a somewhat empty stadium. So it kind of gave the whole affair a little bit of uh, flavor, uh, and it was entertaining at times. But um, all in all, I just Auckland just flexed when they wanted to, and they just blew. Um, one or two away, and uh, I couldn't catch the second half because obviously we were in preparation mode. But now we're well, well done to Auckland, opening the campaign on a big note. <laughs> and uh, it looks like Auckland will be up there with um, uh, the other. Uh, now they've got uh, two wins and two losses so far. Uh, Canterbury um, added their third win, um, and then we had two teams that have been unbeaten um, with um, Waikato and Bay of Plenty. First off, I've got a couple of interviews here. First off, we'll hear from the losing captain. Um, uh, um, Luca Connor um, from uh, Bay of Plenty about uh, about the game and uh, how things are going. After the uh, Waikato versus Bay of Plenty in the Farrah Palmer Cup with Luca Connor, the uh, captain of um, Bay of Plenty. Uh, so, uh, girls, start that game really put Waikato under pressure, but just couldn't get the points on the board. I think that was probably one of your issues. Yes, we had a great start to the game, so that was our plan come out, um, really put them on the back foot, but we just couldn't execute and get the points, which was really disappointing. Yeah, another low-scoring game against Auckland, but you came out on top there. Um, I mean, these games are really tight, aren't they, between the top teams in the Farrah Palmer Cup? It's, uh, you, you've got, I think it's, I've counted four uh, Blackferns in the current squad in your pack. I mean, you've got a really strong team there. Um, so you must be looking forward, must be sort of hopeful for what you can achieve in this uh, Farrah Palmer Cup this year. I think so. Um, we've got a bunch of young girls and then experienced as well. And then heading into Blackferns, like you say, we lose a couple of girls, but I believe our pack that's there is definitely capable, back them 100% to go right to the end. Now, talking about Blackferns, you've played um, some club rugby this year, you've played some Super Rugby Alpaki, uh, some Blackferns, now NPC. How are you finding it, having four different coaches uh, and jumping between different uh, game styles? I really enjoyed Opaki, so that was really fun. So it was actually the girls we played today, we got to... We never get to play together. It's always against each other. So to be able to play in the Chiefs together and then today go against each other, we have that really um, high competition against each other. And just the rugby's been awesome, but it's been full on, definitely. And I'm lucky enough that Crystal is was the coach for Chiefs and then is now our Bay of Plenty coach. So it's quite easy to um, be under her. So okay, so you're not, you're not having brand new lineup calls every two weeks and having to, to oh, remember yeah. all of that. Kind yes, of stuff. definitely lineups. There's a million different ones, but just got to do my homework, I guess. <laughs> now, when we last talked, uh, it was your very first time captaining uh, Bay of Plenty at the end of last season. How are you finding captaining? Are you enjoying being a captain and uh, the res- responsibility that you get with that? I'm really enjoying it. The girls are awesome. We have a good bunch of young and old, good mix, and everyone just does their job, so it makes it easy. Great. Well, uh, thank you so much for your time and uh, good luck for the rest of the season. Hopefully we get to chat again. Thank you so much. Cheers. So, Luca, as you don't know, it's the, um, it's the, the, the scrum, oh, sorry, the, not scrum, um, the hooker for the, um, for the team. And that's line-out calls and having uh, four different sets of line-out calls in the season um, is <laughs> going to be, uh, well, uh, interesting. Um, <laughs> we need to talk about uh, details, Boa. That's, uh, that's a lot of work to get through, isn't it? 
it is, but that's the that's how the professional uh, level works. You know, I, I mean, we have uh, five uh, test caps in our side. Uh, unfortunately, we lost them all uh, five weeks out from the playoffs. Uh, you know, most of them turned up Samoa and Tonga, Pacific Nations Cup. So, you know, just when I have exit interviews with our players, uh, just getting feedback, just getting a feel for what they do in uh, in a fully professional environment this is what they have to do they have to they have their own notepads um they do a lot of studying uh, a lot of whiteboard sessions you know uh, learning the the line out codes and whenever they come back into an environment i try and uh, get all our other you know uh, non professional players to be sponges to absorb as much uh, knowledge and get feedback from them so they can prepare themselves for what it's like at the next level uh, so it's it's just part and parcel of it, and I guess for these girls in the Farah Palmer Cup, it's, it's a tremendous experience. And uh, you know, the, the, that was a really cool interview, very candid. Uh, and I think the more they experience this, the more they're getting used to it. Um, and it's not easy, you know, it's not easy playing rugby for a living when you're doing it full time. There's it's, it's a it's a thinking man's and thinking woman's game. Uh, so I think that we got a really good, honest cross-section of what's actually required, <clears throat> particularly around your line-out calls and when you're a hooker because you're always throwing the ball into the lineup, uh, and, of course, your strike moves. So um, it is challenging, but I'm sure these girls enjoy it and uh, hopefully they don't get too many <laughs> mix-ups and hopefully the opposition don't manage to st- steal some of those calls just like that because chances are, having played together, you know, you, it's very difficult to vary things too much because you want you don't want to over-engineer it. So that's definitely one of those challenges. So good on these girls, and I'm really happy for them because it looks like they're really enjoying their footy. Yeah, we'll have we'll have a quick chat with the or get the um, uh, Rennie Holmes, the, the, the Waikato uh, captain next. But I mean, in the men's game, normally you only have to do with, deal with two teams a year, i.e., your Super Rugby and International and All Blacks, or Super Rugby and NPC or Club and NPC. I say these goals this year, the way their their season is having to deal with all, with with four different teams uh, is is uh, is yeah is, is is a lot. But anyway, let's hear from um, uh, Rennie Holmes, the um, the Waikato uh, captain now. Here we are after the um, Farrah Palmer Cup with uh, when Waikato um, against Bear Plenty with um, Rennie Holmes, the uh, captain and try scorer for for Waikato. Um, you guys were put under, or girls put under a lot of pressure um, initially in that game uh, and did well to hold out uh, Bay of Plenty over the first sort of twenty odd minutes. Yeah, we always knew it was going to um, Bay of Plenty were going to come out pretty hot. Uh, this is always the game that they always love to get up for. You know, Chiefs Chief Country Cup on the line, so we always knew that from the blocks there was going to be heaps of pressure. And it was just about how do we absorb that and then how do we try to get a, um, over that. Yep, and then you, you're off, well, as, uh, as, as Joel mentioned just before this, the forwards went to work and got a couple of tries oh, after yours as yes. well um, to make it uh, 17-10. I mean, not a high-scoring game, but one that, uh, yeah, a, 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 a lot of work going in for those points. Um, and um, from... Oh, I've gone blank. I'm so oh, sorry, folks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're fine. Um, there you go. The... Uh, and I mean, it's a sort of frenemies kind of thing because a lot of those players you've played with, with as part of as part of the sort of the, the, the Chiefs and the uh, Super Rugby mm. Packy. Um, uh, so yeah, it's, as you say, it's it's, it's a it's a big rivalry between the two of you. Yeah. So obviously we do we do know players for players, and we know we obviously knew coming into this week um, where they were going to try and keep the ball, which was in their forwards. Um, so we just had to we just knew our forwards had to show up today and and muscle up with them. Um, and what, that's what our forwards have been doing every week. You know, every team's been trying to target and keep it into the forwards. So we've just been having to lift our forwards up. 
That was uh, yeah, the force did a good job, but from the backs as well, considering he had two black ferns drop out um, uh, late, in the, late in the piece. Uh, how how do you cope with that disruption in there? Do you, do you find that was a problem? Yeah, um, obviously it was a disruption, but um, we've got like a very white, a big squad, um, and our girls that can just slot in there um, pretty easily. They do, and um, yeah, obviously losing that experience. It does mean a lot, but then it gave opportunities for girls to um, debut today, which re was really exciting. And uh, also, not only debuts, but you've got uh, 35 cap uh, yeah. and, and, and blazers, so it's a good mix of experience and, yeah. uh, and youth you've, you've got there. And from a personal point of view, how have you found jumping between club rugby, black ferns, super rugby, uh, and, um, <laughs> and also um, Farrah Palmer Cup? So three, four different sets of coaches, yeah. four different game plans, um, and, um, and also jumping between them. So you did like coat club. Super back to club, mm. black ferns back to club. <laughs> yeah, it definitely is a lot. Um, and I think it's just really important for us to be able to take back knowledge that we do learn in the higher teams back into the environments that are, um, we're still building with. And um, so, yeah, it is definitely a lot, you know, having to learn four different game plans, four different moves. But at the end of the day, um, if you do your homework right and fully um, channel into what team you're in, then you can't go wrong. Well, congratulations to the win. Uh, and good luck for the rest of the year because, as you say, there's still a lot of rugby mm. to be played. Yeah. Uh, and thank you so much for your time. Awesome. Thank you very much. <laughs> Oops, you got the uh, got my blooper in there as well with that one, folks. But uh, yeah, lot, as you were saying there, but bring the experience back, get the um, get, get the club players uh, with the, uh, as as, uh, as up to speed from that as possible. Um, and uh, as you say, uh, great to see they're enjoying um, their rugby. There, I mean, um, we saw with Luca that. Disappointed to lose, but when you if you look at how someone like Sam Kane, how painfully he looked um, in his post-match interviews, you can see um, these girls are actually enjoying the environment, and it's much easier to talk to them post-game um, than, uh, than, than must be. some of the some of the men are um, put, put, put bluntly in some of the post-match interviews I've, I've had the uh, the joy of doing. That's true, and and if you if you look at both retrospectively, you've got both interviews. Both the girls are talking about homework, so there you go, kids. When you make sure you go to school, do your homework, and you will be a successful rugby player. So it's no different to what you do in life. And yeah, you're right, Paul. I think with with in the in the women's environment, a little bit of experience I've had um, in more in coach education around women in rugby. Um, there is a lot of scientific evidence to back this as well, particularly in sport. They are a lot more receptive, and uh, they're more sort of um, receptive. Uh, in in direct learning styles, whereas men uh, tend to learn slightly different. It doesn't doesn't mean to say one is right or better over the other, uh, but there's a there's a sense of um, more acceptance. So it's 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 a it's actually a, a a learning ability. So what I'm trying to say is, you know, in case the result doesn't go your way, uh, you know, winning and losing is part of life. But so long as you learn from your failure and you're failing forwards, you land on your face so you can put your hands down like doing a press-up and get right back up, as opposed to if you fail, fail backwards and you whack the back of your head, uh, you might not be able to get up. So I think that analogy should give you a, a good insight into what's going on. And uh, unfortunately, uh, since you brought up Sam Kent, he's probably caught in the twilight zone. And that's, that's where <clears throat> you know wider coaching skills need to come in which is something we'll talk about later in the show. Yeah, he's not the only one, though. That was just a, one a, one that people can relate to um, <laughs> at the moment. I've, 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 I've plenty of opportunities where 
players have not want the yeah, not wants to, to to talk off the games, but so not I don't have a problem there. Uh, moving on then to the championship at the Farrah Palmer Cup. Um, Northland came up short against Hawks Bay, 17-32. Um, and then I think you can really see uh the sides that are are gonna do well and the sides that aren't. Um Taranaki uh, lost to Otago 15 to 55, and then a big win for Tasman. 42 uh, to 15 over North Harbour. Now, Tasman, a very young, generally a young um, setup there. They don't have a university um, to lose a lot of their players um, are down, to, particularly to Otago. Um, so, uh, yeah, very, very good for them there in that one. Um, generally, Tasman, no, they're not. Uh, the women's side is not the same as the men's in that they're aiming for the championship thing. It's more about developing the players because they know they don't necessarily, uh, they're not necessarily able to hold them in what is an amateur um uh, a, a team uh, in Tasman, so um, very good result for them against um, against North Harbour. Otago leading the way there in that championship with three wins um, from their three games, um, and uh, then Hawks Bay. Uh, I expect it to be between between the two of them, to be honest with you, uh, for for that champion for, for looking for promotion um, in that one. Heading on then to uh, the uh, the MPC. And uh, that kicked off this weekend. Now, I think they got the scheduling wrong, Boa, to be honest with you. Um, to kick off the season with um, Manawatu um, against Canterbury. Manawatu, uh, for the, uh, there's a new structure this year, folks. So there's no premiership and championship. It's just all one group. But Manawatu historically have been a championship side, mid-table championship side. Canterbury have been a top of the premiership championship side. Putting those two together. It was pretty clear what was going to happen, and it did. 15-62 on Friday night. Not the best game to kick off the competition with Bar. Oh, not at all. And it just, just does not, and it just doesn't do anyone any favors. I mean, I get that when you're swimming all in the same ocean. You know, you can't be the goldfish in the pond. You got to swim with the sharks. I get all of that. But I think with the scheduling, they've got to look at some kind of handicapping system where, you know, you've got to have some even matchups going in, and you've got to give teams who are not as up to the mark. And clearly, in this instance, um, the uh, Manawatu against uh, Canterbury. It was just an absolute mismatch. And there was only ever going to be one result. And it's 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 not good for rugby. So I think yeah, people who schedule these games they really need to have a hard look at it. Uh, what I would like to see is the top teams go straight into it. Now, I'll give you a really good example. All backs this season. We haven't had any um, easy punch bag games. So we straight into an Irish tour who was probably in the peak of their form and we got walloped. Straight after that, it was into the, the fire from the frying pan, which, you know, we're, we're experiencing now against the Springboks in South Africa. So, you know, the, if, if you really want to develop the game, this is what we need to happen. Uh, we need teams of even keel going at each other, like mountain goats going for that big clash of horns. Uh, you know, getting easy beats and feeding uh, lesser teams from the top teams does no one, and most importantly, the game any favors. And what it actually does is it turns people away from coming through those turnstiles. Uh, so that's sort of, to me, it's just disenfranchising what NPC stands for. But again, that's just my opinion. Uh, you know, if it was up to me, I'd just click my fingers like that. And... Uh, I'd, I'd have far more evenly matched games, particularly for the first four rounds, until teams uh, get a bit of a form line going, and then let's look at you know matching them up. Look, but there's every probably other game in this round was by ten points or less, right? Every other game was close. 
This was the only one that was a blowout. And they made that the opening game on a Friday night. That, to me, is where I think they got the scheduling wrong. Um, is that they just chose the wrong team. And as Nocturnal Wright says, man with two coaching staff seemed to have low expectations. <laughs> so did all the everybody watching it. Um, whack this as your middle game on Saturday, your middle game on Sunday. And people went um, where you're running games, uh, where you, sometimes you're running games two at the same time. Uh, that way, yes, you can choose a good a, a, a blowout if you want to watch it. If you're one of the fans of one of these two teams, you want to watch it. But you can also watch a good game if you want to on the other side. So, um, and I was lucky I got to um, be at one of those, um, which was a, uh, which was a draw um, after golden points. So uh, extra time. So um, look, there were, there were plenty of good games this weekend. They just scheduled the wrong one for Friday night. I've got to say, thank you so much, Rob Osborne, who has uh, checked in. Thank you, sir, for your coverage uh, and your write-ups of club rugby um, that we've had and you've, and that you've put up on the site. Uh, it's been really appreciated um, how you've helped out um, Stephen Harris there with his club coverage. Um, and uh, thank you, Rob. And um, I know that uh, Stephen has got some uh, good ideas and plans for next year around the club coverage here on New Zealand Sport Radio. Um, so, Rob, thank you. And um, I'm sure you'll be part of that um, with Stephen next year um, as well. <clears throat> As Rob says, the, the Battle of the Bridge should have been the curtain raiser for the Gallagher Shield final, not the other way around. Um, I don't think you're the only one who thinks that. I think a lot of people um, would, uh, I would have said probably um, 70 to 80% of the crowd would have been happy with that situation, to be honest with you. Um, there. No question. No question. Look, uh, thank you, Rob, for everything you've done. And thank you for saying this aloud, uh, because if I said it, I'd probably get ostracized by the union. <laughs> for all I know, I'm, I, I, I already You're probably... doing a good enough job getting ostr to, to ostracize yourself by the union. You don't need any help. Um, yeah, look, uh, we had 11, uh, 12, 12 busloads uh, leave uh, Mangare uh, for Eden Park. Um, you know, my, my memory of that final was... Uh, and it's been ringing, reverberating in my head was that chant, let's go Rovers, let's go, and a big clap. Um, so, yeah, look, I mean, we, we, we can keep banging our heads on this wall. Um, grassroots rugby is clearly alive. It really is. And it needs to be given its due uh, position in the uh, rugby landscape, right? And I'm, I'm fully with Rob. I think if we were the headline act, we would have attracted more people. And after after the Galahashil, um, I think 60% of that crowd just disappeared, uh, which, which is a bit disappointing <clears throat> because uh, it shouldn't be like that. It shouldn't be like that because the Galahai is the feeder uh, gateway or pathway to the NPC. Although looking at the NPC side, I don't feel that way, given that I'm wearing a you know, I'm, I'm a through and through Manukau Rowers man, and I don't see any of our boys except one. Uh, so I, th I thought I'd get that jab in there as well. <laughs> um, so, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think Rob, 100%, Mike, uh, you're not the only one. And I thought I was the only one thinking like that, but just looking at all the forums online, there is a, there is a tremendous amount of support. And I think us, uh, Manukau, the little guys going in uh, winning this, uh, has, has done the grassroots game a massive favour. So we'll see how things roll. We'll see how things roll. Well, I was going to say, I, I remember going to, uh, was, I think when I used to live in Auckland, I was a, uh, a member of Auckland Rugby, Rugby Club and obviously went to a lot of the uh, the games. And I remember going to one where they had the uh, first 15 final 
um, and the the the, uh, the one stand that they opened um, was pretty full. And uh, then is when the first 15 note final finished, they all left. And then we had the NPC afterwards. Um, <laughs> yeah, there was more people there for the school game than there was for the NPC game. Um, but hey, that is what it is. Um, moving on, the, and, and um, Simon's saying here that uh, um, I think the NPC should start a week later, not on the same weekend as the start of rugby championship. I also don't know why Auckland Club Rugby runs into the start of NPC, whereas um, every other provincial club provincial competition that i can think of um had their finals between three and four weeks ago so that all of the provincial players were available for club rugby so again um there are, there are a bunch of whilst we don't have the same scheduling issues um as europe does um where they have all sorts of crossovers we do still have scheduling issues here in new zealand as well and perhaps that's a story for uh, so that's a discussion for another time or for a patreon special i'm afraid because um we've got a lot of rugby still to get through um, tonight um so the good games in the mpc then rather than the uh, rather than the, the bad one that opened rather than the one-sided affair we had to start off with counties um edged out otago 23 to 22 um that was um, apparently a cracker i was um covering um actually uh bombing um which is yes your man who's into uh uh, uh a bombing event in uh, in 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 hamilton um so if you want to hear see that Head over to the Zealand Sport Radio Facebook page um, and you can see some um, videos of people doing their manus uh, and me interviewing um, the uh, one of the organisers of that and how they've got some bombing into the swimming baths, which is fantastic, um, safe environment for people to do bombing rather than into the Waikato River where you've got no idea what's under the water. But um, that's by the way, I didn't get to watch this game, but apparently it was a cracker. I did get to watch Waikato versus Hawks Bay though, 32 all. Um, into extra time, boy oh boy! This was two attacking sides that basically threw the kitchen sink at each other. They were absolutely knackered at the end of the game. Um, you can see some of the interviews over on the New Zealand Force Facebook um, page. Now, Boa, you were busy, obviously, um, and so didn't see this one. But this was Liam Messam's 100th NPC game. Um, by my calculations, his 391st first-class game. That is NPC, Super Rugby, International, um, Japanese Top League and um, the Top 14 with Toulon. Um, 391 games. That uh, plus 21 um, uh, international um, sevens competitions. Boy, oh boy. He, he's, a, he's a bit of a legend, isn't he? He is. And no, Paul, look, I'm, I'm, I'm a rugby nerd through and through. I spend 99% of my screen time watching rugby, analyzing rugby, dissecting rugby. So I did catch the highlights. I'm not surprised that, um, you know, um, it's, it isn't his 3,000th appearance. Uh, <laughs> it feels like he's been around for that long. Um, but no, what a cracking game. <laughs> I mean, that's what we need to see. Running, open, fast rugby, and both teams not afraid to um, trade punches because... The more games we have like that, the more people will actually, um, you know, head through the turnstiles, and that—that's actually what we want. We need—we need more draws. We need more close games. We need to get away from these old blowouts where you know one team just comes and punches on the other. Uh, and rightly, you pointed out the scheduling. Uh, and look, uh, well, nothing but respect for Liam Missum. He just keeps going on and on and on and on. Who knows? He might be playing first-class rugby when he's sixty. Because he's in good shape, and uh, he might be 
picking up his 10,000th cap all we know. So, well done. Uh, let me tip my hat off for the second time. First for Rob, and now for Mr. Liam Messer. Well, let's hear from Liam Messer and see whether he will be actually uh, making that 10,000th game like you suggested. <laughs> After uh, Waikato versus Hawks Bay with Liam Messer. Um, now, by my counting, your 100 caps today means you're now at 391 first-class games. Um, boy, oh boy, that's, uh, that, that's some number. What, what does it mean yeah. to bring up uh, the century? Uh, yeah, it means a lot. It's uh, a lot of hard work and effort that's gone in. Um, yeah, I think uh, knowing this is my last year, I think things like this have become more sentimental. And before I sort of just, you know, just brushed it on and carried on playing. Um, but yeah, I, I take nothing for granted and um, I take moments like this. Um, yeah, it's a real special, especially have my friends and family here uh, today. Um, yeah, it means a lot. And uh, so often uh, these um, landmark games, you can get over, over, over emotional and perhaps not play your best game per se. How have you managed to keep that all in check? Because they uh, had a cracker out there, or it's a cracking game out there today. Oh yeah, I thought we were, we were pretty poor though in the first uh, 20, 30 minutes. Uh, it wasn't up to our standard. Um, maybe the occasion got to us a bit and um, yeah, we just sort of went into our shells. And um, yeah, once we sort of you know got the cobwebs out, hopefully, uh, yeah, the game opened up a bit and as you can see at the end, it was a pretty free-flowing game. It was, uh, and um, obviously you've got plenty of experience to go by. Was this one of the more knackering games you've played in? Because the pace it was played at was, was quite nuts as two attacking teams just threw everything at each other. Well, it is when you haven't played rugby for almost <laughs> a year. My last game was the final, so uh, it was good to, to get the cobwebs out. And um, yeah, it was uh, games like that are the games you want to play in, and uh, hopefully it was a, a good spectacle for the fans. And. Um, any kind of, uh, what, what, what sort of best memories of playing for Waikato uh, over the years? What's, uh, oh, it's hard, it's hard, like, uh, it's hard to, to go past the shield uh, with the rich history we have here in Waikato with the Renfrew Shield. Um, winning that one up in North Harbour really sticks out. And obviously the, the championship in 06, um, yeah, no, that was a, yeah. I think the, the biggest memories for me is just the friendships that I've made mm -hmm. and the connections that i made with, um, with, with the, the, the teammates that i played with um, and also, you know, the fans in that as well. Well, uh, congratulations on all those. I mean, you've obviously played uh, over in France. You've got to play in Japan. You've travelled the world with this. You know, not only have you got those 391 games, but you've also got 21 uh, com uh, sevens competitions under your belt as well. So well, they must add um, up to something. Oh, eh? <laughs> <laughs> those into it, right? <laughs> so we're well over 400 now. Whether it'll make the uh, the 137, which I think is the the record for for Waikato, I think that's probably no, a little I'm, bit I'm beyond. Me. You now, yeah. <laughs> this is it, mate. This is my last season. I'm done. Um, never say never, but you never know. Um, so, but thank you so much for your time. Congratulations. It's an honour to, to have watched you through your career and um, uh, enjoy this last season. And uh, yeah, and, and hopefully you've got some cool stuff lined up for, the, for afterwards as well. Awesome. Thank you very much. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. So there you go. Bill, um, he, he, he's uh, categorically said this is his last season. He will not be, uh, not be going on until he's 60. So there we go. Um, but there's the answer for you. I'm, I'm, I'm so disappointed. I'm so disappointed. <laughs> uh, what a champ. What a champ. And, you know, all that experience. So I think, uh, you know, it's uh, hopefully gets to go on a high. Hopefully, uh, Mike Katok go on to take the NPC. Um, they certainly have the firepower to do it. So we'll wait and see. Maybe this is going to be a special season for Liam Messer. I think what was really interesting there was, I mean, whenever you listen to interviews with players, and I, I listen to quite a few, I listen to the uh, What's What a Lad podcast and all that kind of stuff, um, and ex-players, it's always about the people they've played with, which is the big thing um, uh, about this, let's be honest. Uh, that, that's your big memories. But it's really interesting that the thing that he his memory was, it was the Shield. It wasn't the championships he's won with Waikato, the Shield. It's amazing that, yeah, that um, 
the, the old log of wood uh, is uh, is still the premier um, trophy and competition in uh, provincial rugby. It's not the championships there, and I think that I thought that I found that was uh, um, really interesting there, Bob. No, no question. Because again, you know, provincial. I mean, if we actually cut through the professional era which we're experiencing now, and if we can schedule things or we have some restructure and we, if we actually make the NPC the be-all and end-all, I think it, you know, it, it, it will really put um, the log of wood, it, it'll give its due place in New Zealand, um, the, the rugby hierarchy. But obviously, you know, we have Super Rugby, which is a compilation of, uh, it's a franchise-based system, basically, with provinces making up uh, the uh, five franchises. Uh, but you know, to the, the the real rugby tragic, to the real rugby fan, they know exactly what the top piece of silverware is. And from a player's point of view, I mean, how many times have we seen uh, the, um, the real epic close encounters when it came when it comes to the um, log of wood? So I think, yeah, perspective-wise, no comparison. And also, what I have to say is just talking about Liam Messer. For me, the most vivid memory was remember when he was running the water. He got into a bit of a I wouldn't call it a scuffle, but uh, and I think it was uh, was it Nigel Owen? He was a referee, and then the week after, Nigel Owen was the running the touch. He was the assistant referee, and as uh, soon as Messam come close to you know, which was a bit of handbags, Owen jumps in and says, "Hey, hey, hey! We remember last week. Remember last week." <laughs> so what that was the most vivid memory of uh, <clears throat> Liam Messam, and of course he dabbled a bit in the boxing ring. And if you look at his, you know, square, square granite jaw, that tells you everything you need to know. And, uh, you know, what a warrior. Um, so, um, Rob asking Bella if the uh, Rovers um, are still celebrating. Uh, look, the if they are, they're not celebrating at the club anymore. Whilst um, that did go longer and perhaps um, maybe some question marks around the licensing um, hours that they have there. But um, uh, no, the... No. Um, I, can, I can formally assure you, I was, I was in the club yesterday uh, late afternoon, there were some remnants remnants of celebrations, well within the legal guidelines. Um, and uh, <clears throat> I did tell the lads, look, guys, you know, Monday is a working day, so it's time to wrap things along. And I said, you know, when I leave, just send me a text message when the last man's out. True to form, a few hours later, a few, a few hours later, I did get a text saying, yep, all done. And uh, I'm satisfied that uh, that chapter is now closed. Not so much as these uh, her suggestions. The main test could be moved to earlier in the year, and domestic rugby become the premier attraction in the middle of the season. Uh, look, there's all sorts of talk around what could be the global season. Um, to me, the the sensible way of doing a global season is the first six months are Super Rugby, uh, and the second six months are international. Um, and since and then North Hem Northern Hemisphere. The first six months are club rugby and the second six months are international. And that way, uh, if the club season in, in Europe wants to kick off earlier and wants to kick off in September, October or November, they can do. But they know they don't get their international players until January. And to me, that way, it's very clear and easy. But unfortunately, there is no way the Six Nations will move to a summer competition uh, in, the Northern, in, in Europe. Um, but um, that would be my way. Of doing, it. I think the I think the uh, Southern Hemisphere or the uh, Super or basically Australia, New Zealand, because uh, everyone else has been kicked out of Super Rugby now, um, essentially have the right structure of um, the first six months of Super Rugby, and then July um, onwards until the end of November 
is um, uh, is internationals. But there you go. That's personal opinion. Um, and um, we could go down that route and we're running running long anyway. So I'll try and avoid that. Um, quickly then for the rest of the Bunnings then. Uh, Auckland beat uh, North Harbour 36-26. Um, Taranaki, oh boy, 11-13 against um, Northland. And uh, uh, Taranaki with a chance of a late penalty um, to win it um, uh, that got missed. So that was a cracking game. Wellington, 37, Bay of Plenty, 35. Wow. Um, even higher scoring than your Waikato Hawks Bay. Um, but another one, only two points in it. Cracking game. And then Tasman with um, a comfortable victory over Southland, 26, 27 to 20. I'll be honest, that one closer than I was expecting. The other games, I think all of them I would have, I would have thought, yeah, they're, they're teams that are next to each other. Actually, North Harbour, again, I think could, could have lost by more than 10, but uh, kept it close. Um, but yeah, look, cracking games across the NPC there. Um, I say the only one that wasn't really was that opening game. I think it was the wrong one. Don't forget, folks, that um, we have a midweek game, um, which is Manawa 2 versus Auckland. I'll be honest, that's comfortable away win written all over it. Um, but um, the uh, but yeah, don't forget, folks, we do have midweek NPC games again. Storm weeks are back um, because they have a nine week se- nine week regular season and they want to get their full ten games in. Um, I'll be honest, I didn't catch any of those. Um, Boa, did you uh, catch any, any sort of comments across any of the other games? Yeah, of course. Um, you know, like I said, I'm rugby nerd, so I watched all the highlights, uh, rewind, post, you know, all of those. Um, I particularly like the Wellington game. I thought that that should have been the first game, uh, being the curtain raiser, because wow, it was a cracking game. Large periods of time, defense was optional, <laughs> but it made made for a very uh, entertaining sort of game, punch counter punch. And you know that's what you expect at uh, first class level, uh, you know, because these guys, uh, you know, they've got the skill set, they've got the gas, um, and um, you know, all, even all the other games were, were close enough. For, and like you rightly pointed out, the curtain raiser. So, be interesting to see, and and of course, how the teams, uh, you know, roll their squads around, because I'm expecting to see uh, wholesale changes for the midweek game featuring Auckland. Um, so yeah, it'll be it'll be sort of interesting to see, but. I think just looking slightly ahead in the future, four, maybe five weeks into the competition, once the teams all get their combinations right and the form lines on point, we will start to see some of the uh, the leaders emerge. But as things are, uh, I'm expecting more closer games. And what I will say is from a tipping point of view, from a tipping point of view, don't be afraid to go for a few draws because every year round about this, and, and we've done very well over the past seasons, Paul, you know that. I've called a few draws. Don't be afraid. Have a crack. Um, and yeah, you might be a, a, a very happy man laughing all the way to the bank. Yeah, I mean, quite often the draw can be 21 to 1, uh, or $21, sorry. Um, so you can, uh, yeah, if you back um, 20. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. 
Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And you get one right, you're going to be, uh, you're going to actually pay, be, uh, be up. So, um, yeah, not, not necessarily a bad call there, sir, on, on that one. Um, this coming weekend, I've got my daughters, so I will not be at any of the games. Um, I don't know if um, uh, we'll have to wait and see how uh, the health of Stephen Harris, but I don't know if he'll make it up to uh, Northland for Northern Waikato. Um, or whether he'll pop over to Harbour for Harbour uh, Manawa too. But um, yeah, some um, looking um, at uh, the games on there, Canterbury versus Wellington, two teams that kicked off their season well. Um, that one should be um, a cracker. A Bay of Plenty against Taranaki. Taranaki, remember, undefeated last season, um, really upset that they couldn't uh, get promoted, but they have been kind of promoted as a one competition now. So that one also um, jumps out at me. Um, those, those to me are the, uh, are the two that um, are the two fixtures that uh, I would be suggesting you, uh, you, you you sort of set your alarm clock to make sure you, you, you catch the full ones of the rest. I reckon you can probably do with highlights um, to be, um, to be honest with you. Um, actually, I should have done the same thing for, 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 um, um, for the Farrah Palmer Cup. I didn't, did I? I didn't look forward and tell you which ones you, you probably, um, you, 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 you should um, have a crack at. Uh, in the, um, the championships, Otago versus Tasman, um, two sides going well. But as I say, I think Otago uh, and Hawks Bay are the two that uh, should end up top two there. In the um, the Premiership, well, Canterbury versus Waikato, a repeat of the final from last year. That's one not to miss. Um, I expect uh, um, that uh, Bay of Plenty should have too much for counties um, and that uh, Wellington will have too much for, for Manawa too. But um, that one, Canterbury versus Waikato um, in the Premiership on Saturday at 4.35, uh, is one to catch if you can for the um, Farrah Palmer Cup. Right then, um, Boa uh, International Rugby. Um, so um, let's uh, let's deal with the easy one first: um, Argentina versus Australia. <laughs> Before we head into uh, the big one that will take us on for the next two hours. Um, but um, uh, look, Argentina, Argentina, fantastic start to this game. Australia. Stacks of injuries coming into this game. Um, not only injuries, but also um, you've uh, you've got some. Um, oh dear, we've got John joining us. The, the, this could be bad for the uh, um, for the for the for the. Uh, uh, he's just joined us for the international part of the game. Imagine part, part of the uh, to chat. What a surprise! Um, good to have you, uh, John. We're going to start off with Argentina, Australia. Um, but um, injuries. Then we had Hooper with um, whose 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 uh, mind wasn't in the right place and pulled out through mental health um, issues. Um, and then we also had Quade Cooper getting injured during this game as well. I mean, mm. for, for Australia to come back and win this one 26 21, I mean, Boa, that's a massive um, achievement mm. uh, by the uh, by the Olympics. Yeah, it certainly is. But if you look at the traditional form line and statistical patterns, Argentina have always struggled first up at home. So that was a, was a really good uh, option to take against Argentina. And that exa that's exactly what happened. Uh, but, yeah, look, I don't want to read too much into Australia's performance because it's a bit sort of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde sort of thing. Um, early up, Argentina, better of them, and then they just went down rapidly downhill from there. But good start for uh, the Wallabies because they'll take this momentum going forward. Um, and they'll see a lot of positives primarily because they were missing some key players through injuries. So it'll be interesting to see how they, uh, you know, how they uh, muscle up again. But uh, but I guess the, the 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 game I'm really looking forward to based on this form line is actually the Wallabies uh, muscling up against 
the Springboks. That will give us a true picture of where they are. Um, John, did you catch this um, Argentina versus uh, um, or Pumas versus uh, Wallabies game and your thoughts on that one? I, I caught the 30-minute highlights. Um, I, at one stage, I just going from the highlights, remember, so this is not really a fair reflection of the whole flow of the game. But at one stage, I thought that the the Wallabies were in were in serious trouble. It looked like um, Argentina had good control of the game and they did really well to come back. Uh, so, yes, that was a great performance. I also think it's important to applaud Michael Hooper for his decision and for um, his willingness to be public about what occurred, right? So he could have hidden behind um, some private reason, whatever it may be. And, you know, his mental health is not something that is a, is, is not something that can legally be discussed in public uh, by his employer. So he could have tried to hide it, but he fronted up. And at this time where uh, mental health is increasingly something we realize so many people are dealing with in various ways and have been for, let's be honest, probably for centuries, but it just hasn't been part of our cultural discussion. I think it's something to be applauded that he was open and honest about it in a very male testosterone tough, you know, environment like rugby is. It's just about short of war, right? It's, it's just about as aggro and male as you can imagine. So I think that's really important that we we uh, respect and applaud him for what he did. You remember, it's not that long ago that Australia had a still active wallaby with many tests commit suicide. Wasn't actively in the squad at the time, but was playing overseas. Um, but it's not that long ago that we had a Australian widely respected, still active. Australian forward commit suicide. So I, I, I applaud him for that. And I think that their ability to recover on Saturday from being down and from looking like um, they were really under the pump um, is a very good sign for them, you know, considering how many players that they that they lost. And the, the scoreline is slightly flattering to them in that there was a, a late try while Australia were were get trying to get out and, and try and close the gap. They were eight points behind and they were trying to get close and run the ball from probably a position they wouldn't have done normally. So, yeah, it's a good performance by Australia. Absolutely. You know, before we move up, um, on, on the hoop sightings, look, I, um, the what, what we don't know is kind of what stage he is. Is he just mentally burnt out and just... Um, yes. Uh, and, uh, and, and he's just tired mentally? Or is he, yes. does he have... Other mental health issues we don't know. So let, let's just we don't so at the moment. We're, um, whilst we yes, it's good he stood up in front of his his his, uh, his um, uh, and put his hand up and said yes that he would do. Kind of what we what extent those are we don't uh, know. We, we, we need to be realised that there are variations, just like there is a variation yes. in in, uh, in, a, in a thigh strain. There's variations mm. in mental health or um, things as well. Yes. So, um, just want to make that out. Uh, obviously. The victim of the thing was 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 at one extreme end. We don't know quite where yes. who was on that. And um, look, we just hope he returns and is uh, and and is um, and is good on the uh, the rugby side of things or on the game side of things. Should I say? Um, look, you're quite right. 19 mil, 19 to ten down, so nine points down. They lose Quade Cooper to an injury. Um, you have um, Reese Hodge coming in as your ten. Doesn't breed a lot of confidence. Let's be blunt, but they yes. came back 
and did it. So yes, a fantastic uh, um, group for fortitude um, mentally for for for, for, mm. for the team there. And as you say, um, both sides happy to play well into extra time and to not uh, and not have the game stop. Both sides had the ball and could stop the game um, with uh, the Pumas going for. Um, the losing bonus point and the, obviously mm. the, the Wallabies going for the try bonus point. And this game in reality was 26-34. Um, it's still mm. an eight-point win. It's still a two-score win, um, which after being mm. nine points down or two scores down is a really good achievement by um, by the Wallabies. So well done there um, on that one. Um, and um, uh, I mean, Bo, any, uh, both of you, any final comments on this one before we get into the... Um, the, the one thing I said, Puma's discipline was terrible. They, I think they gave something like 16 penalties in that second half. It was just quite shocking, mm. really. So at this level, mm. you just can't do that. And against a team, you know, which had uh, some good X-Factor players like the Wallabies, and I thought it was a quite, quite an evenly matched sort of game. And that's what I love the Pumas uh, give up the, the the game, pretty much, the winning and losing. Because every time they made some headway, it was a real coach killer because they had some real poor discipline in and around the mm. ruck area, particularly just losing their feet, going off their feet. And mm. they give the back to the Wallabies. So that's something mm. they're going to, have to watch. And particularly against some of the better sides, like the Springboks, they will be punished. Mm. Mm. And also remember the Wallabies were hugely under the pump in the scrums, right? So, and the, the, the Argies are, of course, historically very good scrumming team, but they're not currently known as an incredible scrumming power in international rugby. So um, that's an area of weakness that Australia may be targeted by some of the strongest scrumming teams. Right then, we've avoided it fifty-five minutes. Now it's time for the um, uh, the, uh, the spring box. Listen, I, I didn't come here to talk about this. I came here to to congratulate Boa on what was the game of the weekend and on his team winning after after half a century of uh, sorrow and woe, I would never have thought that a, what should I say, unbiased, well-balanced show like this would leave the last five minutes to talk about the all-black team just because they lost. I mean, that would be that would be this kind of sports journalism, cronyism, one-eyed kind of thing that I'd expect from me. I wouldn't expect it from you know, semi-professionals at least wearing such stylish hats as the two of you. Now, now, John, now you thank Boa and congratulate Boa on his um, on on his win. You can bugger off then, um, and we'll just uh, we'll just cut you. <laughs> I thought that would be. I um, thought you would have devoted a fair chunk of the show already um, to this. I thought I would be skating in right at the end here just to make sure that I I, I con you know congratulated Boa. Asked if he's available to coach New Zealand, because um, they, well, they, you know, and maybe, and maybe I, he's got some players that could play for New Zealand. I don't, you know. Well, look, I appreciate you making the trip. It was lovely to see you there. Um, as far as you know, players making the All Blacks, we can't seem to even crack the NPC squad. So I think we're way out of luck when it comes to the All Blacks. Yeah, Black. just tell your good players to go to Christchurch. As much as I, as I. Hate the evil empire down there. You got to give it to them. They know how to develop rugby players. Yeah, they sure do, and they've uh, seen. I think they they've they've read the EEO, the Equal Opportunities Book, a, a little bit better than uh, the mm. full copy. So mm. yeah, it's actually not a bad idea. 
<clears throat> By the way, before we completely dive into the darkness that is the All Blacks at the moment, um, Boa posted a clip of Sir Brian. What's his name? So he came into your change room. What's his name? Uh, Sir uh, Brian. Sir now, Brian what? Sir Brian Williams. And he came in and congratulated Boa's team, even though his club, his lifelong club had had uh, lost the final and his his speech was it was just such class it was so complimentary it was so i mean how, how many people would come in and say that that the better team won on the day and that uh, they did well and yet we'll be back for you but he was just he was just all class everything that rugby really is about when it comes to the brotherhood of the game um, so Brian exemplified in that little speech, and I just thought that was wonderful to see. Indeed, indeed. Um, so now to delve into the uh, the darkness that is the game from the weekend. Um, Twenty six to uh, to ten. Um, what amazes me is that this is the biggest um, All Blacks loss to the Springboks since uh, since ninety four. So um, that's uh, what nearly uh, well uh, well yeah nearly thirty years. Uh, in that one. It well, is, yeah, uh, it is 30 years because South Africa came back into international rugby in 92. So yeah, it's 30 in 30 years of, of since their return, it's the it's the biggest win. Sorry, oh, sorry, in 94 years. Sorry, sorry, no, not, not, not since 94. In 94 years. So, sorry, in 94 years, this is the um, the biggest loss to um, that, which, which is just yeah. nuts, nearly a century. Um, uh, and it's only 16 points. And this is not a. I, yes, it was a one-sided affair, uh, but the score cut, the scoreboard didn't show how one-sided the game was. Um, so I'm, I'm amazed it was it was that. Um, this is the fifth equal biggest loss by the All Blacks of all time, and it, that that just boom. Only 16 points is your fifth biggest loss. That is kind of nuts. Um, really yes. Here. And I guess this is where. We uh, we get into this of kind of like oh, all blacks fans are uh, arrogant because they, they expect to win every game. Oh, when you never lose by more than sixteen points, um, yeah, you've, it's it's it, it becomes what you um what you uh, what 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 you kind of uh, what we kind of expect because yeah it is uh, yeah it, it is it's just nuts. Um, and as Elby says, all backs need superlatives, uh, but darkness doesn't cut it. Uh, look, it's just it's amazing as to as I say, it, it, yes, it was a bad lot. It was it was a one sided affair. The correct team mm. won. Don't get me wrong, but to, for this to be your biggest one, your biggest losses of all time, um, kind of does my head in a bit, really, because this is not mm. Um, mm. Uh, from a scorecard point of view. Um, there was okay an outside chance, but um, uh, the um, of uh, within the last twenty minutes of of, of of them coming back, but they could have come back uh, against the run of play, admittedly. Mm. Um, mm. Uh, so so yeah, so that from that point of view, uh, I'm amazed as to kind of how the numbers um, stack up um, from there. Um, from this though, uh, and um, John, I'm going to open the floor to you first because uh, you, you uh, the, the 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 fans in the in the uh, in the live chat are, are shouting for you to. Um, um, to put the knife in, um, your thoughts first on the on the uh, on the Springboks and what you thought of your of how your team went in this game. Well, I think it's it's in 
in, in line with what you said, I think it's instructive to talk about the difference in mindsets between New Zealand, who the All Blacks are possibly the greatest team in team sport ever, maybe. There's an argument, their success rate, especially if you compare, if you take out Foster, who's lost, I think it's eight games now out of 24, 25 that he's been coach. And Steve Hansen lost nine games in 108, right? It's like mind-blowing that Steve Foster had a win rate of over 90%, including playing away from home, that it's there is a an instinct in the All Blacks to not only never give up and always to keep coming, which is what keeps the score closer, but also they are utterly ruthless. The Springboks, on the other hand, historically are not as... Um, as, as much as it irks me to say that historically they could have defended into, oh, we're going to lose this game, uh, we're going to lose this match, let's just make sure we win the fight, right? So that is a little bit part, a part of their history, um, which allows some scores to blow up, especially against the All Blacks. And the other thing is that when they're on top, they're not as ruthless. They're not, they don't put the knife into other teams and sometimes can play a little bit down to their level once the game is secured and there's no doubt that what's going to happen. Um, the Springboks are a much better team than uh, most of world rugby is prepared to admit. Uh, they have a selection of players across the, back, across the back line, which is the big thing. Everybody expects the Springboks to have great players. They've got a, a range of players across the back line that are of, if not the best in the world at the moment in various positions, they're certainly in the top two, right? So, and they have hugely underrated players in the back line. Um, uh, um, for instance, is at 13, to me, reminds me tremendously of Conrad Smith, where they are both hugely oh, underrated as players. To call Am underrated when I think everyone admits or everyone acknowledges he's the best 13 in the world at the moment. Do um, they? Is, Do I yeah. mean, is that... No, I'm surprised. I didn't know that was the case. I, I think I think Am, Am would take... You know, if, for most, most people putting together their world 15s at the moment, Am would take the 13 jersey. Absolutely. Okay, I wasn't... To be fair, <laughs> I wasn't aware of that. I've thought that Am is the best uh, 13 since the last World Cup year. Right? There's there's just so much nous in the way that he plays that reminds me so much of Conrad Smith. Uh, there's so much intelligence. And the fact also that's not spoken about is that he runs the Springbok defense system. He is the one that coordinates everything from the back line, uh, which makes sense not only because of his rugby brain, but also because of the position that he is on their, um, their rush defense from the outside in, being at 13 it makes sense to run it from there if you've got the right person with the right brain. And if I can just add this as well, it's wonderful that this is unfolding in this way, um, that he coordinates that strategic position because it undermines all the, uh, let's be honest, the remnants of racism that might be existing in the game in South Africa where um, the previous thought was, oh, non-white players can only play as wing, right, um, where you give them a ball and let them run. Uh, so that's great to see his coordination. So 
I think the Springboks across the board are a better team than they are are given credit for. They are coached and play a style that is very conservative. It's it's the way that they have recovered from. It's let's remember when was it? 20, it's five years ago now. Is it five years ago or, or four years ago? Twenty eighteen no, when it was fifty seven nil. Fifty seven nil is a long way to is, to come back from. So true. Now, but I, so yeah, I'm going to cut off that uh, from this game. You're quite right. Look, look, look the, the, the box are um, along with France and Ireland, the three teams I think going 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 to go into the next Rugby World Cup as favourites. Um, I think one of the one of the points um, from this game <clears throat> that I think we saw, um, and I think Boa, you're one of the ones who was um, in our live chats going right. Yep, yeah, thirteen plus definitely for for the um, uh, for, for for next weekend. Um, this African team doesn't put sides away. As you say, it's a conservative game plan that's got wonderful players in the back line that just doesn't use them um, or uses them in a way exactly. that doesn't, doesn't, doesn't rack up exactly. points. Exactly. Um, you hit the nail on the head. So this, um, uh, this and, and then that's what we see from, from this team. To me, once uh, New Zealand lost, uh, had the early scrum, got the, got the scrum, scrum penalty against them, um, South Africa uh, camped in the, uh, the, the All Blacks half, and they just couldn't get out of there um, mm. because the the the, the spring box the first uh, I think 20, 30 minutes just didn't give a penalty, and from mm. there the game was the game was gone because mm. um, so the All Blacks were camped in their own half and had no way to exit, um, and uh, that I mean, only led to a 10-3 half time. Uh, it mm. should have led to much more than that, uh, as mm. we said, because they, they they should put more points, but. The uh, that's uh, the, 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 the fantastic discipline that for opening half hour, even with the loss of um, Faf de Kluck, um, mm. I think it was really where, where um, South Africa controlled this game. Um, mm. there's been a lot of Boa, there's been a lot of um comments here that uh, Foster Cannon said this is the best game that uh, we've played this year. Defensively, they're they're into the the uh, the top 90 percent of the tackle completion, only gave up 26 points in a game that they were dominated in. Um, do you think he was being? Do you think Foster's being? I mean, a lot of people are laughing at him, say this is the best game. But considering he's only had three games against Ireland, I actually do. He wasn't necessarily miles wrong there. That even though they did lose badly, this is the best game they've played, even though they've lost badly. But, but. well, overall, I think he's being called delusional. I mean, that's just one facet of the game. You know, that's just one facet of the game. And just adding on to John, what John says, I think um, Lukanyo Am is actually the most intelligent player in uh, the World Rugby Union at the moment, just the way the guy organises, as you said, John, their defensive mm. structure, his ability to see what's ahead. And that's what actually stifled the All Blacks, particularly. Um, they just didn't know what hit them in the day and they just didn't have the creativity oh. or the ability or the time to do something different. Oh. So coming back to what you said, Paul, uh, look, that's just one facet of the game. But if you look at overall how we played, there was no, you know, when was the last time uh, any of you remember the All Blacks doing a strike move off a lineup? Hmm. I can't recall what. You know, so th this is where the problem is, guys. The attack shape is it, it's non-existent. The All Blacks have gone into this default mode where they expect the opposition to kick back at them, kick badly, and create a counter attack where uh, hmm. X Factor comes in. Now the thing is, with a side like the Springboks, it's it's almost like a a, a Python 
trying to trying to choke the life out of you. And when they do it really well, and the Springboks play really well without the ball in hand, once they get that defensive structure, it's it's very difficult to crack. The only way you can do that is mm. to be creative. Um, and the mm. creativity came far too late in the game when mm. um, uh, Caleb Clark made that line bust. So mm. I think this is where the game was actually won and lost. And the Springboks it just was so comfortable. It was, it was actually quite embarrassingly easy that the way mm. they didn't do anything special. They just backed their systems and processes. They knew fully well what they were doing. They full they, they knew fully well what they didn't have to do. And for me, mm. that's the most alarming thing. So for a head coach to come out and say, "I'm sorry," that's that you know, that is the most ridiculous statement I've heard in a long time because rugby is not won or lost on just one facet of the game. Uh, and if you if you were to look further into particularly around our attack shape, I don't think we um, we probably only made one proper line bust in in eighty minutes, and you know uh, it, there was recycled possession after ruck after ruck, but we were just going side to side, and the box knew this, and they just waited for the right position, and a guy called Malcolm Box turned up, and he was just you know cherry picking when when he chose. So to me, that is real poor execution, particularly at this level. Now, to, to me, I mean, one of the points today you say is that, yeah, that the Springboks identified that the All Blacks basically yeah, love to attack off counter-attack ball when you kick it to them. And the king of that is is um, Will Jordan. So what did they do? They made sure they never, ever kicked to the left wing. And Will, uh, sorry, to the, yeah, no, to the right, to, to, to the right wing, where he was. Um, therefore, Will Jordan did not touch the ball for the first half of the game. He spent 40 minutes on that pitch not touching the ball. That uh-huh. is a, um, uh, that is a, uh, obviously a, 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 a joke. Um, that you, you have one of a player who some people say is the best all black, sorry, best um, fullback in the world. Um, I, I put him down as the best counter attacking fullback, definitely, um, in the world. And yet, you don't, you don't say he doesn't touch the ball once in the entire first half. Um, the, and uh, so yeah, you're right. That's it was very clever play by South Africa to to on, on that side of things. Um, although it was also dumb plays, you say from the All Blacks and the fact that they, against a rush defence, were spinning the ball wide, and it wasn't off front football. If they 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 hadn't got over the game line, they hadn't got the South African defenders to to run backwards, uh, and they were trying to go wide. And against rush defence, that isn't going to happen. That isn't going to work. And as, uh, as as Boa rightly pointed out, uh, Malcolm Marks had a absolute field day. Now he's not an open side flanker; he's a hooker, but um, but he played that open side flanker role. But remember, just as a comment, he is a former flanker that was recycled into a hooker um, in the early part of his professional career. So he's got that uh, DNA. Yep. Um, the uh, but I say it's you, you normally you, you'd be you're looking at your pococks and players who who do he, he did a pocock job in that um in that game, mm. uh, which was which was very impressive uh, and also mm. in the 50th cap. So congratulations. And do you notice what they do when they when they take him off? Not only do they and they bring uh, Mbonambi on, they also bring Kwaka Smith on. So they have a pest on the ground gets taken off and another pest comes on, but just in a different position. Um, and immediately, immediately, Quaker Smith started winning turnover ball. 
you know, one thing I have to say is the, the, this technique Malcolm Marx used. It's what I call the Marx Pax. And it's, it's actually something borderline um, illegal. It really depends on the referee. Because what, what, what Marx does is he will target a specific ruck with a specific ball carrier. And the tackler, he actually gets the tackler jammed in the same motion as the mm. jackal. And technically, mm. I mean, it's impossible for the tackler mm. to roll away. But the mm. referee's attention is so much on his hands going down onto the ball, they mm. get away. With it. And to me, that is the most smartest bit of rugby I have seen in a long time because mm. I've done, you know, I've, I've cut that little bit of video, I'll share it with you guys, and I've slowed it right down to about 20%. And just looking at it, you know, to me, that's rugby IQ. That's intelligence mm. going into light years. And I think mm. this is an aspect where the box are actually really winning the battle. And this is something we can actually learn. I mean, I've learned a lot from that. So, you mm. know, I think it's time um, the uh, New Zealand rugby public acknowledge that and we actually mm. learn something from the box. And and what's really interesting now that you pointed out that the penny drops from Ibarra is that what he does is that he more often than not gets a penalty rather than actually retrieving the ball. He sometimes does, to be fair. He sometimes rips the ball back and the box continue playing. But he most often latches onto that ball and pulls it into the ball carrier, right? And by pulling it, and he lifts the ball carrier. And he's so big and strong, of course, that when he gets hit, it just accentuates the fact that it looks like the ball carrier hasn't released the ball. Now, when Quacha Smith comes on, it's different. Quacha Smith turns the ball over more than winning penalties. He actually rips the ball out and gets it away rather than winning a penalty. It's two slightly different techniques, but the same point of view is that they have become absolute pests on defense when it comes to the ball hitting the ground. Now There, there is a counter for this. So, Fozzie, if you're watching this, give me a call. Happy to help you out, mate. <laughs> what is the counter, Boa? <laughs> So rather than focus on the ball, so imagine if I'm the I'm the tackle player where I put the ball down, and if you're mm -hmm. Malcolm Marx trying to hover over the ball, what I would do is I'd go for Malcolm Marx's collar and I drag him down. Soon as he loses his shape, he has to roll away and get back on mm -hmm. his feet. Yeah, That's a, it's a very simple. You see, it's what I call a rugby hack. Yeah. Now, also, what South Africa used to do with uh, uh, Richie McCaw um, to try and counter is that they would run at him. So they would they would target, so they would look for McCaw and run at him and make him tackle. Because as soon as he's on attack, as soon as he's the tackler, he can't play the he can't be the jackler because he's on the ground. And then they would remove him from play for that that more that ruck and at least the next ruck because he, he would be on the ground. He wouldn't be able to attend the next ruck. And the next time they have two rucks later, they'd look for McCaw and they'd run at him again to make him commit to a tackle, right? So there's, those are the two options that you, can, that you can use for. Sorry, I've just lost a bit of light here. But, yes, those are the two options that you have um, when dealing with a real pest on the ground. Um, the problem is that um, – uh, if if the Springboks realize just what they have in Quacha Smith and decide to bring him on earlier, um, the, cum the thing that I'm concerned about is two things will have changed this Saturday for the All Blacks. One is the Springboks were treating this, the All Blacks with a lot of deference, and rightly so, because there have been so many times that the Springboks have thought they've had this, the All Blacks only to get 
badly bitten. And so they almost like didn't believe that they were the better team. Now that they see that they are clearly the better team, if they attack with more confidence and with more swagger, as well as the accumulated effect of playing the Springboks two weeks in a row. Because remember, for some of these players that are playing for the All Blacks, they've never, they've never played a South African team. They've never been in South Africa before. And there's no other team in the world that exacts the same physical toll on the body as playing South African teams. And so now you've got this two weeks in a row, that combination of an increase in confidence and self-belief that the Springboks will have, as well as that cumulative physical impact, I'm concerned that it could get quite ugly this Saturday. So, so just to quote, just, just to throw a number in there about that, 12 of the All Blacks 23 had never played a test in South Africa before. Sorry, Bob. No, no, no question. It'll be another hiding because it's Ellis Park. Now, you, you know, I'm, I'm a man. I, I put the emotion aside. I look at the statistical numbers. Ellis Park has not been a favorable venue for the All Blacks whatsoever. And just building yes. on South Africa, are only going to get better. They will be more ruthless. They will, they'll smell the blood. And um, yeah. what they will do is they will, they'll probably up the physicality a bit more. Uh, mm. They'll look at more direct runners. They'll look at more mm. pick and goes. And also, they will look to um, launch off the, the line-out, keep it nice and tight, try and suck in as many defenders. And they'll be patient. And that's what I like about the Springboks. They, they, they're, not in a, they're not in a hurry. They're very patient. And it's, it's almost like a vice-like grip they have. And once they're in that mood, it's very difficult to disrupt. The only way I see the, the All Blacks <clears throat> countering this is turning the box around. And to do that, there is a weapon they can use. That's called a 50-22. So I'll say it again, 50-22. But unfortunately, because of this obsession of one-out runners and always trying to overplay from your own half, this has just kind of got lost in transit. So this is something we've overseen. So again, hey, Fozzie, if you need help, give me a call. I've got a few ideas, some pitch maps. Because keep in mind, I am a rugby nerd. This is what I do. I love dissecting things, looking at where the areas are. Like how the box kept the ball away from Will Jordan. There's, mm. a, there's a target uh, in the box. That's Billy LaRue. You just make him running side to side. Use the 50-22. Get the mm. big heavy forward pack running backwards and look mm. to speed it up at line out. And that is the only way this all-black team will get any headway. But Ellis sure, Park, yeah. it's a graveyard. But that's, um, that's very difficult to do when you're in your own 22 to do it mm. um, from the, which is what happened here in that mm. first half hour because of that loss, because of that, that scrum penalty. Um, which means... By the way, sorry, Paul, just as a last thing, and, and this might be tough to swallow, but the All Blacks don't have the athletes that they had in 2015. It's easy to forget that in that team that won the 2015 World Cup were a string of players who would challenge for the greatest All Blacks in their position in 125 years. And, and that doesn't happen often. And at the moment, you've got a, a group of players, no matter what you say about Foster, you've got a group of players in the squad who many of them would battle to make the Springbok squad, not the match day team. They would battle to make the Springbok squad. You've got players on the bench for the Springboks <laughs> that, you would, that you would pick in your all-black starting team, right, that are coming off the bench. 
So, and I mean, South Africa's got a, for instance, on, in the tight forwards, it's, it's got a, a wealth of locks. Um, the th- I mean, there are three quasi locks that started the game on, on Saturday that would all be uh, f- uh, in the match day squad for, for the All Blacks. And that's not even counting some of the ones that are, are injured, like RG Snayman, that is still uh, to come back into match fitness. So the reality is that that no matter what, uh, no matter how good uh, Razor Roberts is, and he is an outstanding coach, you've got to recognize the fact that Graham Henry and Steve Hansen had a generation of players that is very, very rare, even for a country like New Zealand, where you had a confluence of greatness at the same time. It's very seldom you get a Richie McCaw and a Dan Carter who could who could arguably be the best players ever in any team in their position playing in the same team. The um well so with that Bella, with John saying we don't have the cattle, what changes? I didn't do you say you don't have the cattle. I just said that I, I didn't say that. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that well, we, we have, have we gone have, from we have, New Zealand. We've gone from here to a far more uh, regular level of player. And, and what we can forget is that what we had was extraordinary in New Zealand. It wasn't the norm, even for a great uh, rugby team like the All Blacks, even for the best rugby team in, in history. Even for them, it was like unbelievable what was being fielded for the All Blacks in that period. No, okay, I, so- I, agree, I agree with John, and I think change. We sure we we have. I'm just looking at nocturnals come. Yeah, absolutely, would make changes. Start with the coach, <laughs> but I guess well, then, we'll yeah, have- no, no, no. okay. We're not, we're not going to make changes by the, to the coach before Saturday. So, what changes between? back for now. No, from players, I think get Peter Gasokula in there. I think he's far more mobile, number eight, and we got to look at the halves combination. We can't just continue doing the same thing. And look, if we don't have the same level of Superman athlete, then we have to look at our tactics. We need to be better exactly. on the field. And this is why I keep talking about this 50-22. Um, this, you know, this is a tailor-made weapon. If you have guys who have the ability to kick really well out of their hand, I mean, it's a no-brainer against some of the bigger sides who like to go from set-piece to set-piece. This is your chance to basically kick from your half into the opponent's 22, get your line-out throw-in, call a strike move and score tries. Or work a scenario, set it up, go for a drop goal. I mean, to me, that, that makes sense. That's how you win test matches. You mm. know, you, you you go for the percentage plays. Uh, so, given that we are missing that level of rugby IQ, that, that that is really alarming. And we have to look at new ways of innovating or manufacturing points. If mm. we don't just really have the strike power, and that's how we're going to get uh, our confidence back. So unless that happens, if we keep continuing to do the same yeah. thing, we'll get the same result. If we go with the same formula, I'm afraid, Ellie Spark, we're going to get a, 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 a good back in high grade. So t- to me, I think the, um, the, the the space to change is, is around the props. Uh, with George Bauer and Angus Ta'avo both um, dropping out the side and being replaced, to my mind, uh, that you can't be giving up a scrum penalty on your first scrum. So that, that would be my first um, uh, my, my, my first uh, area of, uh, of, of change. I'm also not a great fan of um, Havili in that 12 jersey 
and Rico in that 13. I don't think that that combination um, works. Unfortunately, looking at the players who are out there, there's not many other options, to be honest with you. I mean, Quintipire, um, look, he's only got 10 caps. Is it fair throwing him in at this point? Um, uh, RTS, look, RTS is not ready for Test Rugby against the Springboks. Put bluntly, uh, he shouldn't have been in the squad uh, until the um, until the Argentina game, um, I'm afraid. Um, so a little bit, uh, so it's a bit of a bit strange there. And if Jack Goodhue, so I'd rather go with um, Tapia um, and Goodhue if Tapia if Goodhue is fit. Clearly, Bowden Barrett should not be playing this weekend after landing on his head. So you're going to have Rich uh, start with Rich Moore and have Perifetta on the bench. That'll be an interesting one. Um, so I'll start with Perifetta. I think he's got the better all-round kicking game, and we've just got to get the territorial advantage because Ellis Park has. If you if you look at all the historical pitch maps, pitch maps where teams have actually scored, it's been from their own green zone. They haven't gone coast to coast. So trying to play that type of rugby is just not going to work. That's that's a historical pattern. And with this current form line, this All Black side, the way they're playing, they're not going to do that. So we have to do something different. We have to think a little bit smarter. We have to play territory. We need to turn the big box. Get them on their Uber ride, beat them to the line out, force the pace. So to do that, we need we need some fresh thinking. We can't have the same personnel for the sake of you know fear of failure. Because if if we're gonna lose, we might as well try something different. That's that is my philosophy. And I think this will spark something if we get some different set of players. Um and yeah, we just gotta do something different, Paul. Otherwise, this is gonna become quite embarrassing. Yep. Um and look. I've already mentioned five changes there with two props, two centres, and uh, or both centres and a uh, uh, and 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 a fly half. Um, to make more changes than that, well, then you're basically putting in a brand new side. And can you expect a brand new side uh, to, uh, to, to 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 put in a performance? Uh, probably not. Um, so I think it's unfair to make more changes. But hey, there we go. We'll have to see how um, how it pans out. But basically, I think between everybody, uh, you could probably say that only about three or four players should actually stay in there uh, and they'd be happy with the kind of 11 changes that starting 15 in some ways. So um, the, uh, I think things have perhaps overreacted in that sense. Um, but, um, but I, I, but when you say that a 15 point loss is the fifth worst, fifth equal worst loss of all time, you kind of get where it's, um, it, it's, it's, it's kind of coming from. Um, look, running to an hour and a half, I'm going to wrap it up there. But um, uh, I don't expect any changes from the Springboks. I do not expect them to do what they did against Wales and bring in 13 changes to the second test. I expect we'll see the exact same team run out, bar obviously one winger who is going to be banned for a number of weeks if he hasn't been already. Um, the, uh, that'll be the only change I expect to see in the side. There may be some changes as to who is on the bench and who is starting. But other than that, uh, I think we'll see a very, very similar um, Springbok team. Um, even if they are playing with a bit more confidence, as, uh, as John has suggested um, earlier. But, um, Boa, congratulations again for Manukau Rovers, and thank you very much for joining me. Thank you, and, guys. Uh, John, one thank one you. last parting shot. Keep in mind the boxer missing Vermeulen and Cheslin Colby. So imagine if the, those two guys, it's 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 a very scary proposition. So I'm, I'm, I'm actually, I'm very worried for this weekend, and I'm sure John's quite happy. Well, um, I think every team has to deal with injuries, so I'm, I'm uh, so that from that point of view, I'm uh, uh, no no team, or it's very very rare for teams to put out their, their first ever choice team. So you always have one or two injuries, but yeah. I think um, you know, and I'm sorry, I'm, I I dropped out there when you when you asked that question, what could be done. Um, your point is very valid when it comes to what the impact that Vermeulen could make, and it depends also. 
um, if they are match fit because him and Francois Stein have both been included in the squad, but they weren't considered up to match fitness yet, especially against the All Blacks. So they weren't considered for this particular test just gone by. And if they are fit, um, they might if somebody like Vili uh, Larue uh, might not even make the the match day squad. They might put Francois Stein on the bench, um, and they might bring Dwayne Vermeulen. And I'm not sure what where they stand on their fitness. But the scary the the thing that the All Blacks need to do is to shift their thinking from. Uh, players like Akira Yuani, who can physically dominate contact p- uh, points against Ireland, but are not going to do it against the Springboks. And they need to go to a more moving the ball into space and, in, in fact, a more adventurous um, type of attack. In And when I say that, I do agree with Bo about using the kick more strategically, but use it as a as a bold strategy rather than a conservative strategy as an attacking 50-22 option or trying to make the ball land on grass um, and try and use utilize players that play into space and use footwork. Because players like Caleb Clark and Akira Yuani just feed into the box psyche. That is the way that they want to play and that's the way they want opposition to play against them. But the silky, skillful stuff, hopefully, you know, they've they got to abandon caution and, and just... Take you know, take the rapier to the broadsword is the way that they're going to be able to beat the box because otherwise it's not going to work. Totally, right. I'm in the toilet. Thank you, boys. Thank you, John. Um, it's been a pleasure. Um, we've run over by a lot, a lot, but hey, yeah. bounce happened with so much rugby at the weekend and such important rugby um, as well. Uh, no surprise, folks. That it might happen again next Monday. So do join us again next Monday at eight pm for the Driving More Show. And don't forget, we've also got our league show on Wednesday night at 8pm at the standoff. So uh, thank you, John. Thank you, Boa. Um, It's uh, been an absolute pleasure. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 